Galatians chapter 6 this morning, beginning at verse 11. Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse 11. We are in the midst of a 12-week series on the essentials of our faith. And what is an essential? An essential is something that is basic, something that is indispensable, necessary. It is something that is vitally important. And so what we are talking about for these 12 weeks are the things that, that the New Testament writers are bringing out just are absolutely essential, vitally important, indispensable to us in our relationship with God and our walking with God uh, in our lives. And as I shared with you, I think from week one, a lot of these passages or verses about the essentials fall at the end of the New Testament books. And I think the reason is because uh, unlike today where, you know, you could just keep talking to somebody and communicating with them. A lot of these New Testament writers, when they got to the end of their letter, they were like, you know, we might not converse for a while. We might not, you know, uh, hear from each other for a while. And so I want to leave you uh, at the end with what I think may be the most important thing that I want to say or have said throughout my entire letter. And that's why most of these passages we're going to look at come at the end of the letters in the New Testament. Whether they're written from uh, Paul or from Peter or John or whatever, they usually fall at the end of their letters. And I'd just like to read this passage to you this morning before we get into it. And please follow along as I read. Paul says, see what big letters I make as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to make a good showing in external matters are trying to force you to be circumcised. They do so only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not obey the law themselves, but they want you to be circumcised so that they can boast about your flesh. But may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither uncircumcision or circumcision, excuse me, or uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that matters is a new creation. And all who behave in accordance with this rule, mercy and peace be on them and on the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me. For I bear the marks of Jesus in my body. May grace and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Paul starts out this section by saying, see what big letters I'm writing with? And most people believe that maybe one of the reasons why he wrote with such big letters is because Paul had bad eyesight. And he was writing so that he could see what he was writing. I think there's also maybe another thing in play here. And that is, maybe Paul's eyesight was bad and he had to write big. But I think that we could also take from this that, again, Paul was writing these letters so big because he wanted to emphasize what he was about to say. He wanted to let his readers know Just like we would if we were to darken something over or underline it 
or put it in parenthesis or put it in bold italics or in type or whatever, that this is a way for us to emphasize what we are saying. And I think that that's one of the reasons why Paul said, see what big letters I'm writing with? This is really important, guys. You need to get this here in the churches in the region of Galatia. And the first thing that Paul sort of then begins to get into is how it's so easy for so many in Paul's day, just like it is in our day, to focus on our works and the things that we are doing rather than on the work that God is doing within us. And we begin to focus on the things that we can do even without God rather than focusing on only the things that we can accomplish with God's aid, with God's support, and with God's help. And so that's why beginning in verse 12, he starts to talk about this because it's, it's really going to set up the main point that Paul has in this passage. Notice what he says in verse 12, that there are those who just want to look good. They, they want to impress people by what happens externally. What we in our flesh in our body, unaided by God, what we can accomplish. And Paul says, we need to be aware of that because we can all get caught up in just sort of going through the motions of our Christian life and of focusing on what we are doing and what we can do. And sometimes we even get caught up in, and why are we doing it? What's our motivation? Is it to to put on a show, if you will, and, and to impress people by what they can observe externally, Paul is going to say that should never be the essential. That should never be our focus and, and the goal of our Christian life. Now, Paul uses an example of this. He says, in his day, there were people going around who were all about, like they do today, they're all about the rules and regulations. They're all about checking off certain boxes in their own life and other people's lives. Uh, the Bible would call them Judaizers, or we would maybe today call them legalistic people, who again are more focused on the externals and, and checking off boxes and rules and regulations than they are building their relationship with Jesus Christ. And again, focused more on their work than on the work of God. And so what they were doing in Paul's day was going around making people feel bad if they weren't circumcised. Because somehow, you know, that was the thing that made people spiritual. You know, it was always, you know, what, what can we observe from each other as far as your spirituality? And, and you're going to have to look a certain way and dress a certain way and talk a certain way. And it's all going to be about externals. Paul says, let's be careful. Because he goes on to say that the reason they're doing this is because they're avoiding being persecuted for the cross of Christ. See, if, if I focus on the work that God has done, if I focus on the cross and on Jesus Christ, then automatically I'm, I'm saying something. I'm saying that I have a need. A need that I can't fulfill. A need that I can't satisfy. I have to start looking outside of myself to meet these needs. That's what the cross of Christ is saying. If man could have saved himself, if man could have made a way to God, 
If man, by his religion, could climb to the heavens and somehow attain that kind of standard and status, then there would have been no reason for the cross. The reason Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth in human form, in a human body, and lived on this earth, and eventually went to the cross and died and rose from the dead, is because we couldn't solve that problem on our own. We needed God. We needed outside help. We could never measure up to the standard of God. And we never can. And so he's saying that when these people are focused on what they can do, that obviously appeals to all of our human flesh. That's why religion is so appealing to people. Because in its very essence, religion is always about what we can accomplish and how we can somehow get to God through the works and things that we do. It's not primarily focused on what God is doing and what God has done because then that takes the glory away from us. That takes the praise away from us and puts it on Jesus Christ. And the reason that they were going around getting caught up in checking off boxes and rules and regulations and all of that was because they didn't, if they were going to be persecuted, if they were going to somehow be harassed and troubled, they would rather it be for the things that they could accomplish, not for the things that Jesus Christ has accomplished. When it comes right down to it, though, most people aren't going to be persecuted for talking about religion. They're not going to be persecuted for talking about good works and, and the things that we do externally because those things are praised and, and elevated and whatnot, even by those that have no relationship with God, you see. So very few people will ever take any heat, if you will, in their lives for getting caught up in good works and the external things that we in our own flesh can accomplish. But bring out Jesus Christ and begin to bring out the cross and all of a sudden things change because the cross of Christ reminds us not everything is right and we can't do this on our own and we need someone outside of ourselves. And so he goes on to say, for those who are circumcised, those who even try to get other people to be circumcised, if they were honest, they, they don't even follow the law. You know, they try to get everyone else to check off their own boxes. But just like most legalists, they have their own sort of set of boxes that they feel other people need to check off in their life. But when you start applying the standard, there's boxes that are unchecked in their life as well. No one can measure up to the law. It's just when we get caught up in the rules and regulations and all of that, we begin to create what boxes we want to because those are the boxes we either have already checked off or we know we can. But that's not how God works. And this is an essential truth that Paul is laying out here in building at the end of Galatians chapter 6. He says, but notice at the end of verse 13, but they want you to be circumcised. Why? So that they can boast about your flesh. Basically, they want to be in control. And by getting other people and sort of making people feel bad because they don't have this in their life or that, and it's all external, that's not only a way for them to say, look, look what we were able to do. We were, we were able to get those people to do this. But it's also about control. It's about controlling other people 
through, again, setting up this sort of false standard of the rules and regulations that they want to emphasize, the boxes that they want to emphasize. And Paul is saying, let's be careful here. Let's be careful here. Because at the end of the day, all those things that we're talking about are things that we could accomplish on our own apart from God. And Paul's saying, if we can accomplish these things apart from God's help or support or aid or grace, then why are we even talking about them? Because Paul said, may I never boast, may I never glory or exalt or lift up anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the context, he's talking about here the triumph of the cross in our own lives. In other words, when Paul embraced, truly embraced the cross and renounced all his own work and all the good deeds that he had ever done, and he came as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, one who sat at the, at the feet of Gamaliel, maybe the leading rabbi of Paul's day, and who was zealous for God and had all this going for him spiritually and realized, as he says to the Philippians, I counted all this as loss except for knowing Jesus Christ. Because I came to a place where I realized it's not me and it's not about me. It's about what Jesus has done. And that's all Paul said I want to live my life doing is exalting and lifting up and glorying in what Jesus has done for me. Because without him, I could never even have this relationship with God. And I'm, I'm never going to be what I could be apart from Jesus Christ. That's why he says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But unto us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And let's remember something here, folks. That yes, there's a moment in time where you and I accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. And we are saved at that moment. We are brought into a right relationship with God and we have peace with God. It's what Paul calls justification in the book of Romans. But that doesn't end the effects of that decision. The effects of that decision should be something that is felt throughout the rest of our life. It is where we grow and mature in our faith and become more like Jesus Christ every day of our lives. And that's what Paul called in the book of Romans, sanctification. And that's what Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 1.18 when he says, to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Because even though at the moment we accepted Christ, we were saved from the penalty of sin, our whole life is spent being delivered, rescued and saved from the power of sin. And Paul says, I can only do that through Christ. I can't overcome sin in my own life. I can't overcome my selfish bent. I can't overcome all these things on my own. The only way I overcome them is in Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done and what Jesus Christ continues to do in my life. He's the only one that brought me into a right relationship and he's the only one that can keep me on the right track. So may I never boast... May I never be proud of what I can accomplish, but what Jesus Christ has and is accomplishing in my life. Paul is setting in contrast 
what should be our focus, our mindset, our perspective, and what was the perspective of many people in Paul's day who wanted to glory in themselves, who wanted to lift themselves up as to what they could accomplish apart from God. It was all about the externals. It was all about the work of God that they could do, but not focusing on the work that God wanted to do in their lives. So he goes on to say this. He says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world was crucified to me and I to the world. I want to talk for a moment about the word world. It means things that are earthly, things that are frail, things that are fleeting, things that are hollow and empty. In fact, the word, English word cosmetic that we use for something that's just external and outward comes from this word for the word world. It's something that's just on the surface. It's not something that will last. It's not something that will stand the test of time. And Paul is then saying that there should come a point in my life with Christ where the world, what is earthly, what is hollow, what is empty, what is frail and fleeting, becomes crucified to me. It means dead to me. It means it loses all of its attraction. Paul is saying, the world should not be attractive to us. I thought of Lot's wife when I thought of that. Her heart and her attraction was Sodom and Gomorrah. That's why even though God had delivered her physically from Sodom and Gomorrah, even though her body was outside of Sodom and Gomorrah, her heart was still there. And that's why she looked back and was turned into a pillar of stone. It's the way a lot of people who confess Christ today are. They say, I love the Lord and I have the Lord Jesus in my life. But based upon the choices and decisions that they make, they love the world. The, the world is attractive to them. Everything the world offers is more attractive to them than what Jesus Christ can offer. How do we know that? Well, look at the priorities of, of our lives. Look at where we spend our time, our money, our energy, and all of our effort. Is it on trying to get into the world and, 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 and achieve something from a worldly perspective? Or do we truly believe that what Jesus Christ offers us is something always better and always superior to what the world could ever offer us? And then Paul goes on to say, the world's lost its attraction to me, and I'm sure I'm not very attractive to the world. Paul says, I, I'm sure that when the world would get together, that I wouldn't be on the top of their list as someone to, to focus on and emulate and make a big deal about. Because guess what? My priorities aren't the world's priorities, Paul says. My love, my passion isn't what the world's going after. So therefore, even though it's lost attraction to me, I'm sure... I'm not very attractive to the world as well. And let's be reminded of this. I shared this passage a couple weeks ago. Keep your finger there in Galatians and go over to the book of 1 John. Later on in the New Testament. To 1 John chapter 2. Verse 15. 
where John writes, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the arrogance produced by material possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with all its desires. It is fleeting. It is frail. It is hollow. It is empty. But the person who does the will of God remains forever. There's the contrast. That's why Paul said, that's why I focus on Jesus and what he's done and what he's doing in my life and not what I can do. Because it's not about, it's not about what I can do. It's about letting Jesus do his work in me. So then if you go back to Galatians chapter 6. Notice what he says then in verse 15. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Wow. In other words, he's saying, it doesn't really matter what I do on the outside. It doesn't matter whether I'm circumcised or not. At the end of the day, Paul's saying here, that doesn't really matter. Which brings us right back to the definition of what's essential. Something essential is what really matters. It's what's really important. And Paul's saying, anything external is not what really matters. What we can do, our works, is not what really matters. He says the only thing that matters is a new creation. The only thing that matters is not the work I do for God but the work that God is doing in me, Paul said. That's what it means to be a new creation. It's that superior, unprecedented work that God begins in our lives when we accept Christ as our Savior. That's why Paul even said to the Philippians, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, which would have been the day, the moment I accepted Christ as my Savior, will continue throughout our lives until we meet Jesus Christ. God wants to do a work in us. Are we focused on that work? And what is that primary work that God wants to do? He wants to make us a new creation. What's that mean? Well, first of all, I want to say this. The word creation that's used here is a word that means and reminds us that God can create something out of nothing or what hasn't been there before. Same concept as when he created the universe back in Genesis 1.1. God doesn't need anything to make something out of. And the reason I want to emphasize that here is that's why it's so important as Christians and even for those who come to Christ initially, that we bring nothing with us. God doesn't need us to bring what we can bring to Him. God can create in us a new, wonderful, superior, unprecedented creation of His without us bringing anything to the table. Because that's how great God is. That's why for years and years and years, in the Billy Graham Crusades, what song would they end with? As people came to Christ, just as I am. And that's the way God wants us all to come, even as Christians. God doesn't want us to come with, here God, here's all my stuff. No, God wants us to come just as we are. So you know what that means too, in an encouraging way? 
That means don't feel like you've got to be this certain thing before you come to God and say, God, make me a new creation, or I've got to attain a certain level of spirituality before I can come and offer myself to God and have him use me and work in me. No, he needs nothing. He absolutely needs nothing, which totally levels the playing field. All of us have nothing. We can all come to God with our nothing and say, God, I have nothing to give you, but I know that you are so awesome and you are so great. You can create in me a new creation. Here I am, God. See, all God asks for is our availability. He doesn't ask for anything else other than, will you surrender to me? Will you, will you let me begin my work? Will you let me continue my work? I want to work in you. Don't focus on the work you're doing. Focus on the work I want to do in you. And in order for us to live that way, we truly have to be intentional about it. What is that work? What is that new creation that God wants to bring about in our lives? Flip the page back to Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. And here Paul has revealed it to us earlier on in this letter to the churches in Galatia. Galatians 4.19, my children, he's thinking of himself as a, as a mom and dad, as a, as a spiritual mentor, if you will. And he says, I am again undergoing birth pains until Christ is formed in you. The word formed means to be fashioned, to be shaped, to be molded. In other words, Paul says, even as a spiritual leader and mentor, all I care about, all the pain and all the effort and everything I go about is all I want is for Christ, Jesus Christ, to be created in you. That's all. That's what really matters. That's the only thing at the end of the day that really matters. Is are we becoming like Jesus Christ. Paul said to the Romans in Romans 8, 29, that's why we were predestined. We were predestined to be conformed, to be shaped to, to be molded to the image of Jesus Christ. We as Christians who say we are followers of God are to begin to resemble and be similar to Jesus Christ more and more every day of our lives. And Paul is saying to the Galatians, you want to focus on an essential? You want to focus on what really matters? Paul says that's what really matters. Becoming like Jesus Christ. Fifteen words I'd like you to focus on these next days ahead Fifteen words out of these couple of verses. The only thing that matters is a new creation until Christ is formed in you. Fifteen words. I'd like you to take the challenge of focusing on those fifteen words in the days ahead. And see if setting out with that goal before you every day doesn't make a difference in your life. The only thing that matters is a new creation until Christ is formed in you. Why is this so important? Here's why. Because church, we can do an awful lot of praying and never become more like Jesus Christ. 
We can do an awful lot of reading and studying our Bible and never become more like Jesus Christ. We can attend church weekly and never become more like Jesus Christ. We can worship and sing songs and never become more like Jesus Christ. We can serve and minister and never become more like Jesus Christ. We can go through all these activities and we can put forth such spiritual effort and still never have Christ created in us. If that's not our focus. And that's why Paul is writing this with such passion at the end of this great letter. Because he says, we're missing it, folks. We're missing it. We're too much involved in our work and what we're doing for God instead of focusing on the work that only God can do within us. And at the end of the day, Paul says, it's not about all that we're involved with and all that we're accomplishing and all that we're doing if it's not bringing us closer to Jesus Christ and making us more like Him. Because at the end of it all, Paul says, that's the only thing that matters. That's why we have to check. Are the things that we're primarily involved with, even as a Christian, are they making us more like Jesus Christ or not? And I think Paul would say to us, Christian, if you really want to become more like Jesus Christ, then you need to start aligning your life to the things that are really helping you become more like Jesus. Then you need to focus on those things. If there's a bunch of things over here in your life that's really not helping you become a new creation and allowing God to work and do that work of Christ being formed in us, then let it go. Because Paul's saying, at the end of the day, in eternity, the only thing that matters is a new creation. The only thing that matters is that you and I, day in, day out, are resembling Jesus Christ and being Jesus more and more and more. If all of our spiritual activity and all the things that we're involved in aren't making us more like Jesus, then we're missing it. We're missing what's really essential. We're missing what's really important, what's indispensable. Because the reason God saved us wasn't just to build a relationship with us and forgive us of our sins and send us on our way to heaven. The reason God saved us was to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. To make us a new creation. It's not just about a relationship. It's about being recreated by God. And only God can do that. See, that's not something you and I can do. You and I can't make ourselves more like Jesus Christ. In fact, if we start down that path, the harder we try to be like Jesus on our own, the more frustrated and disillusioned and disappointed and discouraged we will become. Because none of us here can be like Jesus on our own. The only way we can become like Jesus is, first of all, to focus that that's what I'm about. I'm not about all this activity if it's not making me more like Jesus. I've got to focus there. And then secondly, I've got to start going through some inventory in my life. And I've got to start saying, is this making me more like Jesus? Okay, then I'll keep that. If this, okay, that's not making me more like Jesus, let it go. Let it go. Surrender. 
Because as God does a work in our lives internally, one of the things that God will, uh, you know, eventually, periodically do is he'll come along and he'll say like to me, Jeff, that thing right now in your life, you need to surrender that. You need to surrender that, that part of your life. You need to surrender that room in your life. You know, because you know what, Jeff? That's hindering you from becoming more like Jesus. And so I want you to surrender that. I want you to turn that over. And God is saying to all of us, stop running from me. Stop, stop squirming. Let me work. I'm the potter. You're the clay. Be that compliant, moldy clay that I can work with. Rest in me and let me do my work. This is what really matters. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 16, and all who will behave in accordance with this rule. In other words, if this is, if this is what you're going to do from, from here on out, this is how you're going to direct your life. This is how you're going to order your life. Paul says, God bless you, basically. He says, peace and mercy be on them and on the Israel of God, the people of God by faith. And then I love this. In verse 17, he says, from now on, with the time remaining I have in my life, let no one cause me trouble. The word trouble here means to weaken, to debilitate. And Paul is saying this to us. He says, listen, if I have God in my life and I'm becoming more like Jesus Christ every day, then why am I letting any other power that's inferior to the power that I have and you have through Jesus Christ, why am I allowing that power to trouble me when it is inferior to the power of Jesus Christ who lives within us at all times? That's what the phrase causes me trouble is meaning. Paul's saying, why do we surrender to lesser powers in our life? He's reminding us all that whoever's bothering you Whatever is bothering you and troubling you and weakening you and debilitating you spiritually is less of a power than Jesus Christ. And so he's saying we have to begin to live our lives based upon who we are. Nicole talked about that in worship. Being reminded about who we are in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here. I'm not going to let any power inferior to the power that I have through Jesus Christ get to me. Because every day as Christians, we carry the greatest power in the world within us through Jesus Christ. Which is why Paul said to the Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because there's no power, there's no one or nothing that you and I will come in contact with that is greater than Jesus Christ. So he's saying, let's begin to live that way, my brothers and sisters. And then he says, for I bear the marks of Jesus Christ in my body through the whippings and scourgings and beatings that Paul took. He literally had scars, holy scars on his body. And just as slaves in Paul's day, all the way through our day, one of the ways you identified not only a slave, but who the slave belonged to was that slaves were branded. That brand showed who they belonged to. And Paul is saying, these scars that I have on my body, they prove who I belong to. I belong to Jesus. And I'm not ashamed of that. Because for me, Paul said, the world has lost its attraction. 
I'm not running after what the world can offer me or give me any longer because it's frail, it's fleeting, it's hollow. At the end of the day and in eternity, it's not going to matter. What I have found in my life is that what Jesus Christ offers me to be a follower of his, to be a disciple of his, and to become more like him is worth more than anything the world could ever give me. I belong to Jesus. I want to follow him. And Paul said, when we have that kind of mindset too, we need to be encouraged with this, that God's grace will be right there with us, empowering us and enable us to keep on running the race that we need to run and keep going after Jesus Christ and becoming more like him every day. When he says in the final verse, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. He's saying the grace of God can give us wind. It can give us breath. It can give us that second wind in our life when we hit that wall and we don't want to go on and we don't feel like going on. It is the grace of God that enables us to push past and to push beyond those walls that come in and say, Jesus Christ, I belong to you and I want to be like you. And whatever that means in my life, whatever that means in your life, God, I surrender. I'm willing to embrace it. Paul is saying to all of us today, this is what really matters. We've got to not get caught up in the externals, in the works, in the good things that we can do, most of which we could do without God's help. He said, the thing that really matters, the only thing that matters is a new creation. A work that only God can do within us. A work that He does to form Christ in us. So that every day of our lives, if people were to look at us, hear the way we talk, watch the way we respond, look at our attitude and our perspective every day, we would remind them of Jesus. Is that our goal in life? I hope you belong to Jesus. That's very important. But is the passion of your life to become like Jesus? That's a whole different question. And Paul's saying, I'm glad you belong to Jesus. But it's about becoming like Jesus. Let's pray. In just a moment, we're going to sing. We're going to be dismissed to go back and get the elements of communion. The Lord's table. These elements remind us that we belong to Jesus. That we have come to a place in our life where we are in fellowship with Him because we have accepted His sacrifice on our behalf. We have embraced the cross. And we no longer glory in what we can accomplish and what we can do, but only in what Christ can accomplish through us and what He's done. So as we're dismissed and we go to that table and we come back to our chairs, whether we want to sing or be silent or pray or whatever until everyone's been served and we take communion together,
I want you to focus today on this. Do I belong to Jesus Christ? Is there evidence in my life that I belong to Jesus? There was evidence in Paul's life. He had physical scars to prove who he belonged to. And he was in a, in a right way. He was proud of those. Because they showed who he was really living for and who he, whose he was. As we go back and we partake of those elements, may we solidify who we belong to today. And may it be about Jesus. As Paul said, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world was crucified to me and I to the world. Paul would say to us today as we pick up those elements that hopefully each day that goes by the world and what it offers us becomes less attractive. We're dead to the world. We are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in us. And the life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Do we belong to Jesus today? God, thank you for the work you want to do in our lives. You want to make us like Jesus Christ. God, may we surrender to that work today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we close, something sobering to think about and ponder. How much activity and busyness in my own personal life or even in the life of our local churches really makes me more like Jesus. I think we all need to take a look at that in our lives. Because Paul is laying out for us very simply and very clearly that the only thing that matters is a new creation until Christ is formed in all of us. Let's pray. God, I I pray that we would be a church that would be filled with people that just want to become more like Jesus. All the ministry and activity and all the programs and Bible studies and all of these things and the service opportunities and all that, it's great. But is it making us more like Jesus? All our time in prayer, all our time in the Word, all our time worshiping you, God, is it making us more like you? That's what really matters. Because, God, I believe that you want to bring revival. 
to this area, to this state, to this nation, and to this world. And the only way, Lord, that's going to happen is when we as Christians make the priority of our lives being more like Jesus Christ. God, I know we can't do this on our own. We confess. We desperately need you and your help every day to accomplish that. But we also know, God, that you have given us your word and your promise that you will dispense and supply us with all the grace that we need to make that happen. If that's our focus. May the world and all that it offers us be dead to us once and for all. May it lose its attraction from here on out. And may the only thing that really attracts us is you, Jesus. And what you offer us, the abundant life and becoming more like you every day. God, take us from this place. Change us, transform us. May we be different as we walk out than when we walked in. And give us, God, a spirit of anticipation and expectation for the next time we meet together on Tuesday and then again next Sunday, God, as we allow you corporately to continue to do that work, that recreation of us that only you can do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, folks. Have a great week.